true covenant is a communion of souls between those here today and those not here. It is just this communion into which a young survivor of Buchenwald was initiated at the Wailing Wall, a sight which seemed so unlike any synagogue he had seen, and yet a sight that truly brought him into connection with the spirits of Jews' past. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 58, A Covenantal Kaddish at the Wall. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Soon after the end of World War II, before the State of Israel was declared, a young boy by the name of Israel Mayer Lau was brought to the Wailing Wall. Lau was a child survivor of Buchenwald, the son of the murdered rabbi of the Eastern European Jewish community of Pietrakov. He was a descendant of generations of scholars, but he had been denied in his childhood spent in the camps, the education that was his birthright. Standing at the wall with his elder brother Naftali and another individual named Nachman, he had no notion of the significance of the site. He later reflected on the experience as follows, quote, I gazed in wonder at the people gathered there, praying in front of the wall with all their might, as if they were standing before the Holy Ark in a synagogue. Nothing here reminded me of the synagogue I had known in Pietrakov, where the Nazis had separated my mother and me from my brother Shmuel. Nor did anything here resemble the makeshift synagogue in Buchenwald, organized on our last holiday, Shavuot, in the Gestapo's quarantine hall. The stone wall in Jerusalem did not even have a Torah scroll. I did not understand why Nachman felt it was so important to bring us to this place. As we stood there staring silently, Nachman disappeared. He returned in a few minutes with several young men he had found in the old city. He glanced at his watch and announced, It's midday. We can recite the afternoon service now. At that point, three months after the liberation, I did not yet know how to pray, so I did not join them. Nachman asked everyone to be quiet, then said, I've brought you here so that he, and he pointed to Naftali, can recite the mourner's Kaddish for his mother and father here at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. This was one prayer I already knew by heart, so Naftali and I said it together. Only afterward did Nachman explain to me where we had been and the significance of this stone wall for the Jewish people. He also told me how important it was that I never forget that Kaddish, and indeed, I never will. End quote. What does it mean for a boy to recite Kaddish for those he has lost? What is the source of the connection between generations? between Jews in this world and in the next? What sort of spiritual bond joins us? And how does this impact Jewish obligation to past and posterity? It is this very question that Moses addresses in sublime scriptural words that capture the very essence of Judaism itself. In the last weeks of his life, Moses creates a covenant between God and the Israelites about to enter the land, building on the original covenantal formation that he had helped bring about at Sinai a generation before. Moses describes in chapter 28 the blessings to be bestowed upon Israel if God is obeyed, and the exile to be endured if God is not obeyed. Then, in verse 13 of chapter 29, Moses makes clear who precisely is bound by this covenant. And not with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with those that stand here with us today before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day. These verses have always had a profound emotional resonance for me. Don't 
those here today and those not here. Moses exquisitely describes how in Judaism, one generation can obligate the next, so that long after his own generation was gone, the obligation of the original covenant would endure. Few aspects of Judaism are more central or more countercultural in our age. The past obligates us. Our duties as Jews today stem from a covenant created long ago. Echoes of Moses' words can be found millennia later in the writings of a very different individual, Edmund Burke, in his critique of revolutionary France, where, in the name of rights, so many of the sacred religious and moral traditions of the past had been overthrown. Believing, correctly, that France had gone too far, Burke wrote the following. Society, as he put it, quote, is a partnership in all science, a partnership in all art, a partnership in every virtue and in all perfection. As the ends of such a partnership cannot be obtained in many generations, it becomes a partnership not only between those who are living, but between those who are living, those who are dead, and those who are to be born, end quote. It is a famous passage, and justly so. In other words, each generation can only succeed in its aims by building on those that came before and in relying on those that follow. In a similar sense, the Talmud describes the rabbinic sage Choni coming upon an elderly man planting a carob tree. Knowing that the man would never live to see the tree bear fruit, Choni essentially queried of the man why he labored so. The planter replied, I found trees waiting for me in this world. Just as others planted on my behalf, so do I plant for those that follow. This is exactly what Burke is getting at. And it's therefore interesting that the scholar Gertrude Himmelfarb describes teaching a traditional Jewish student in college who ended up reflecting that studying Burke helped her to better understand her Judaism. But what Moses is emphasizing here is beyond Burke. It is not merely moral or political. It is metaphysical. Writers such as Daniel Elazar and Rabbi Jonathan Sachs have noted that whereas modern political thinkers spoke of us being bound in a social contract, Moses describes a brit, a covenant. There are many differences between covenant and contract. But perhaps first and foremost is the fact that if a brit, a covenant, can truly join generations, it is because unlike a contract, one of the parties in a covenant is always God, God who is beyond time itself. Thus, right before Moses explains the intergenerational nature of the covenant, he emphasizes before whom the entire covenant takes place. Deuteronomy 29.9 Ye are standing this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your heads, your tribes, your elders, and your officers, even all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the stranger that is in the midst of thy camp, from the ewer of thy wood unto the drawer of thy water, that thou shouldst enter into the covenant of the Lord thy God and into his oath, which the Lord thy God creates with you this day. Standing before God is what allows the covenant to truly be formed. And because God is outside the usual constraints of time, therefore, he can allow spiritual bonds to be created that link lives together so that those who have come before speak to us still. This is a very real aspect of Jewish life. The boy Israel Meir Lau, known as Lulik to his parents, or Rabbi Lau as he is known today, survived Buchenwald in large part because of his elder brother Naphtali, who in turn was driven by what his parents had said, 
before they were murdered by the Nazis. Rabbi Lau later wrote that, quote, Naftali recalled his last conversation with Father, in which Father had counted 37 generations of rabbis on both his and my mother's sides of the family. He did this in order to demonstrate the great responsibility of whoever would be saved from the horror to continue the chain of our heritage. Father read verses from Jeremiah. There is hope for your future, the word of God, and your children will return home. He emphasized that if we escape this inferno safely, we would know how to find our home, which was not this home or any other on this enemy land. Your home will be in Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, even if you have to acquire it through suffering, he said. And Naphtali and father cried on each other's necks. After embracing each other tightly, Naphtali returned to his job in the ghetto. Father's words echoed in his ears. Father had believed that I, the youngest son of the Lao family, would escape the inferno safely and pass along the heritage that the Nazis were attempting to destroy, end quote. Naftali's father's words echoed in his ears. A father commands his son to preserve his family, and even after that father is murdered, the father's voice is heard still. Rabbi Israel Meir Lau similarly described the memory of his mother choosing to place him in his big brother's arms at the train to the camps, thereby saving his life. And he reflects that what drove his big brother Naftali was the fact that, quote, in his ears rang mother's voice from November 1944 when she threw me into his arms amid the tumult of the train station in Pietrakov. Tulik, look after Lulik. And it was father's order that we continue the dynasty. Naftali had a mission and he could not allow himself to fail. This mission helped him to stay alive, end quote. This, ladies and gentlemen, is what a covenantal bond means. Not only obligation but a true spiritual link between generations. If there was an Israeli leader who understood this, it was Menachem Begin. I often call Begin's worldview covenantal Zionism because it melded Jabotinsky's approach with an encompassing understanding of Jewish history that differed profoundly from that of certain other Zionist leaders. Begin's Zionism was one which fought for Israeli independence, but also still celebrated the faith of the Jews that they had shown during centuries of exile. It was a Zionism which truly embraced, in Moses' words, those who are here today and those who are not here today. Thus it was that the day after Israel declared independence in May of 1948, the most wanted man in the British mandate, Menachem Begin, came out of hiding and delivered his own independence address 24 hours after Ben-Gurion's declaration. Begin began by blessing God who has kept us alive to see this day. Having invoked the Lord of the Covenant, Begin then spoke of how this covenant connected the Israelis with those who had been murdered in Europe. He said, quote, We shall be accompanied into battle by the spirit of the heroes of the gallows, the conquerors of death, and we shall be accompanied by the spirit of millions of our martyrs, our ancestors tortured and burned for their faith, our murdered fathers and butchered mothers, our murdered brothers and strangled children. And in this battle we shall break the enemy and bring salvation to our people, tried in the furnace of persecution, thirsting only for freedom, for righteousness, and for justice. These were Bacon's words. A true covenant is a communion of souls between those here today and those not here. It is just this communion into which a young survivor of Buchenwald was initiated at the Wailing Wall a sight which seemed so unlike any synagogue he had seen, and yet 
a sight that truly brought him into connection with the spirits of Jews past. A small child stands before the Temple Mount, looking up at the dwelling place of the Divine, remembering his parents, saying the Kaddish, as Moses' words were reified in a new, poignant, and powerful way. You are standing here today before the Lord your God. And not only with you do I make this covenant, but with those here today and those not here today. An event like this could perhaps be the one that would set him on the course of a life in the rabbinate, a life lived in continuity with the generations that had come before. Thus it was that even as the Wailing Wall was lost in 1948, Israel Mayer Lau embraced the vocation of his family, became a rabbi, And in 1993, several decades after the very same wall was regained, this survivor of Buchenwald became chief rabbi of Israel, another astonishing instance of Jewish resurrection. Rabbi Lau's brother and savior, Naphtali, Tuluk, described his own feelings at that moment. Quote, For 50 years, I carried the responsibility passed on to me by my father before he went to his death in Treblinka. He placed in my care a weak child who was five years old but looked like he was only three or even younger. For three years, I served as father and mother, guardian and protector, to my younger brother Israel Mayer, or Luluk as we called him. I often felt despair attacking me, flinging me helplessly to my destruction. I think it was the mission my father gave me, to bring my younger brother to safety, and to ensure the continuation of our family's rabbinic dynasty, that kept me alive and gave me the will to continue fighting for our lives rather than succumb to the horrible fate that befell the rest of our family. So Naftali Lau writes, and then describing how he felt standing at the Western Wall, watching the boy he had saved become chief rabbi of Israel, he further reflects as follows, quote, Forty-eight years earlier, when we first arrived in Jerusalem, we had stood in this same spot. Then young Israel Mayer had gazed at the stones of the wall without understanding what he was seeing. This time, He was praying just two hours before his anticipated election to the highest rabbinical post in Israel. My younger brother, who had risen from the piles of ashes in the death camps, was chosen that day to serve as the chief rabbi of the state of Israel. I looked at him from up close and felt tears welling up in my eyes. As I left the wall, I felt profound relief, as if a heavy burden had been lifted from my shoulders and my conscience. At last, an almost impossible mission had been fulfilled. End quote. Those who are here today before the Lord our God and those who are not here. The covenant binds us all, connects us all, never living past and an eternal Jewish future. These few words by Moses tell us what it means to be a Jew. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.